Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks. I am Carl Hartley. And I'm Max Peterson. Welcome back to our discussion of 2019's The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers, starring Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe, and Valeria Karaman. We decided to to split this one up into two because we had some really great conversations last yeah, time. Yeah, it, it turned into a, a really cool conversation about just movies and stuff. Life, life yeah. yeah. It's been a long time since Carl and I have talked, so the, the conversation was a really good one. Uh, unfortunately, we did not do justice to The Lighthouse, so we're coming back to it <clears> one <throat> more time. Coming back around, absolutely. All right, Um. so if you haven't listened to part one, go and listen to part one. It kind of covers our broad strokes takes on our take on this movie, and uh, what we thought of it, we t- we discussed it as a tone poem, as a mood. So if you don't want to go and listen to part one, uh, part two is going to be more about the nitty gritty specifics, um, specific scenes and themes and things yeah. like that. So welcome back. <laughs> um, one of the things I love about our so our two main characters, we have Thomas Wake and Thomas Howard, who is initially Winslow. One of the things I like about their relationship is how Wake repeatedly will assert dominance while appearing. He he really does come across as like an abusive partner in a way because there's moments where he'll seem to concede or treat uh, uh, Howard nicely or kindly, mm-hmm. but really he's not. And one of my favorite examples of that is when they've been together for four weeks and uh, Howard is asking to not be called lad anymore. To tend to your duties, lad. You know, he's like, Ephraim Winslow. You know, my name is Ephraim Winslow. I'd like you to call me Winslow. You know, that's my name. You know, we've got two weeks left. I, I don't want you to call me boy. Call me Winslow. So wake does he's like he's like all right you know oh you're getting your getting your salt up lad winslow okay all right it makes no difference to me yep ephraim winslow you know and in, there's over the course of that conversation he calls him lad a couple more times sort of maybe like maybe accidentally slipping into it but i think he's actually poking him just poking him absolutely like like you said he's he's showing that he's conceding but then he's not. I think what I think is so fascinating about this moment is he's showing that he's conceding while asserting his dominance because he's yeah. now establishing this new territory. That's an abusive partner. Totally. Boy right there. Yeah, like yeah. making the making you think that you're compromising, but really you're just reasserting your dominance by by establishing your ground rules for this new territory. And the, I think the, the business that he's doing that Willem Dafoe is doing here, lighting his pipe with a coal from the stove, is so fucking cool. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, we've talked about this before, it's a concept from uh, Blake, oh, I can't remember his name, he's the guy who wrote Save the Cat, which is a great resource for screenwriters, if you haven't oh, read you haven't it. talked about that for a while. Yeah, the... it's it's been eight months or two months or two days. I was definitely <laughs> sitting in the FCK proper the last time, uh, you discussed that, it's and I keep thank you for bringing it up again because I keep meaning to ask you about that book. So because I for, keep forgetting what it's called, 
but I want to read it. So I think, thank you. I think the guy's name is Blake Sheldon, and the book is called Save the Cat. It is really great. I, I For a long time, I was very resistant to reading books on writing because I thought that that would sort of pollute how I wrote. I realize now as a 30-year-old that that's kind of a stupid way to think. Yeah, I'm glad I avoided them when I was young because it allowed me to develop a style and a sensibility on my own. But now that I have those kind of figured out, it's a great resource for screenwriters. It really is. It tells you a lot about structure that you don't think about when you're just kind of making it up. Um, But one of the things I really love about this moment is he's lighting this pipe with his coal and he's like, Oh, so you're running from something, lad. And he goes, Winslow. Oh, all right, Ephraim Winslow. So even though he's now calling him by his proper name, he's not calling him by the proper name that he keeps requesting he wants, him. Yeah, call not me, Winslow, it's Ephraim yeah, Winslow. Yeah, call right. me Winslow. I'm, he, so even though he's kind of conceding, he's really not calling him what he wants to be called. He's just picking a new name that he doesn't want to be called, which happens to be his. He's turning his own name and maybe by proxy his own identity against him this is really like cool shit that's going on in the last episode we really talked broad strokes but when you get into the nitty-gritty of this film it's very compelling super super cool one of my one of my favorite things is watching wake go over and look at the sea when mm-hmm. it's in that scene where he's he lights his pipe and he and and Ephraim or uh, Winslow asks him, you know, oh, were you a uh, you you do you miss the sea? And I love Wake's response because it feels like one of the honest things. There is some fraud to this man, you know. There's some he is a bit of a li- a tale teller. He's a li- not a liar's the wrong word, but he's definitely a tale teller. He, yeah, he does. He likes to spin some. He's also a liar. (laughs) He's also a liar. He's also a liar. But yeah, but like it it feels honest because he looks so mournful as he's looking out at the wind and rain battered sea and and Pattinson asks him, do you do you miss the sea? And Wake's responses weren't nothing that could touch it. And there's it got me thinking. There is a long tradition in American, in, in not American, in the English language, and actually kind of just the, the whole world over, but there's a very specific type of seafaring story that kind of originates, that kind of seems to pulsate outwards from America and Britain with like Herman Melville's Moby Dick, that fascination with the ocean, Jack London's sea stories. You know, like tales of of young men going out to sea to find their fortunes. And most often in those stories, the ocean batters and breaks these people and destroys them and drowns them. And it's tragic and it's hard. And all you hear about is how weathering and brutalizing and cold and monolithic and gray and beautiful. You know, like it's the sea has been such a point of fascination for humans for so long. And. I think that's why we react so strongly to movies where the ocean is such a central part of it. You know what I mean? Like there's something, yeah, I do. there's something about the seafaring story The going. Well, it's always been that the seafaring story's always been that one of, well, cause it's, it's one of those rare stories where it's, it's always about that. They leave that you go out to sea, maybe never to return again. And a lot of the sea has to do with exploration and unknown territory and threat of danger. It's just such a unique 
space for it's exciting it's terrifying it's pirates it's fucking there's a (laughs) it's it's adventure you know it's 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 the adventure the there's a term in philosophy for the for the feeling that can own there's a certain type of feeling i think they call it the encounter with the divine um it's also known as like religious experiences or like these profound moments that only seem to occur in nature and it's usually when you are confronted with something so very grand, something be grand beyond imagining, which, if you listen to episode one, sounds a little similar to the definition of cosmic horror, which is yeah. kind of cool. So, like, when you're out in nature and you see a mountain, when you see the Rocky Mountains and you're not in your car, or if you're – I had, I actually had this experience in Skye, the Isle of Skye in Scotland. Oh, you mm. – Getting out of the car yes. and just look out. Oh, we'll go someday, man. I swear yeah, to you. But like stepping out of the car on sky in sky and seeing those mountains, those like those those huge they're like rocky outcroppings. Neil Gaiman has a great quote. It's the place where the bones of the earth show through. And uh there's this moment on sky when we were at the it's called the road to nowhere. It's the one lane road in Skyfall where um, James Bond parks the car and gets out and he's looking down over the valley and it's this beautiful valley. We were on our way up to up to the far north of Sky and we passed that road and they were like, we know, we're driving and and we knew it was there and we were with Angel and she's like, do you want to drive down that so you can drive down the road that James Bond drove down? I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do I want to do that? But there's there was a moment where I was like, wow, it's so misty. Look how misty it is. And then you realize, because Scotland's very foggy. And then you realize that that, f- that wasn't fog. That was the clouds. <laughs> like the clouds were just all that low. They were There was so much, f- so much condensation in the air that the fog was like, you know, 100 feet off the ground. It was incredible. Um, yeah, so anyway... <laughs> <laughs> that this movie makes me feel that way. But um the the seafaring thing, one of the cool distinctions to this movie is in many sea tales, you go out to sea. You go there. You enter into sea and blah blah blah. In this movie, they're surrounded by sea and assailed by it, but they don't go to sea. No. They're they're on a small fucking island. Yeah, and in the middle of this, they're not at sea; they are in sea. And <laughs> they, are, yes, they are in sea. That's the weird thing. That's one of the weird things about this, because first of all, if you have they're not uh, going anywhere, they're stationary. Yeah, it's by the sea. And I, th- I think that's kind of the difference between that experience of the divine and cosmic horror. It's a re- it's a powerful emotional reaction to something much grander than yourself. But the experience of the divine is when you're sort of like going out willingly into it and taking it on its own terms. It's going to see. And I think cosmic mm-hmm. horror is the sea creeping in, the sea yeah. battering at the doors. The sea is coming to you. And that's a different thing, you know? Um I don't know if you had this thought, but like that rock that they're on, that like island, is not that big, right? No, it's very small. Yeah, it's, it's like you know five five hundred yards like in your diameter. backyard. It's tiny, and there's nothing anywhere near it, right? So one of the weird things that I was thinking is like that that is like a piece of rock out in the middle of the ocean that's coming up like a single spine, surrounded by nothing. 
Uh, the part of me that's terrified of like submerged objects got really weirded out when I realized that. So because that's a part of something much larger underneath the sea, right? For that, for that piece of land in the middle of the ocean, right? <laughs> to be stable enough to support a lighthouse for however many cycles these wikis have gone out there, right? Right. Decades, probably. How fucking large is that? Yeah, that's how, pretty fucking creepy to me. It the yeah, it feels like the devil's needle, but out in the middle of the ocean, and that yeah. that's kind of more. It's that, like the tip of a pinky on of something much larger. Oh, that's a, such a gross thought. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I didn't like it when it was in my head either. Uh, um, what did you think? All right, it, so, actually, with this movie, it's the. It's the giant thing laying on its back just under the surface, and it's its cock sticking out of the surface. That's true. This is, like, one of the most phallic films maybe ever made by humans. (laughs) It's, oh, my God, I figured it out. It's Poseidon's penis. There it is. And that's what that curse is about, the Poseidon's curse. Um, So Yeah, you're right. Episode two is much better so far. Yeah, we've got Poseidon's penis. We're just killing it. We're really getting into the nitty-gritty of what this movie's about. Um. So I love remember the scene where Willem Dafoe wakes or not I'm sorry when Robert Pattinson wakes up in the middle of the night and he reaches for his tobacco pouch but it's gone and he goes ah shit I <laughs> I and he, I love that he knows where he left that he left it on a cog near the top of the lighthouse I set it down earlier damn it I forgot it that's what happens yep. here so he goes and grabs that tobacco pouch that's spinning on the cog which is itself cool oh my god i'm sorry let's talk about really quick so he picks up his tobacco pat, uh, pouch off the cog it's in the middle of the night so it's during that night shift when wake is up in the top of the lighthouse so how bold is this movie to make you think that willem defoe's cum is leaking down between the grates yeah. in front of robert pattinson's face that is a pretty brash move on this movie's part i respect the hell out of it what did you think of that i loved it and it was a lot of goop dude it was very goopy that was some viscous fake cum that was coming down off of the ceiling of the lighthouse there which made me think it actually made me think of in the mouth of madness Mm. which is one of the first movies that we did the first Uh, movie like Uh, the old woman who turns uh, into the thing yeah 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 (laughs) So I got that. I got. I really got that John Carpenter gloopy Cthulhu-y vibe from his. I immediately semen. for some weird reason because the scene's like super tense and you're, maybe it was my brain just trying to build a vent in. But as soon as like that big gobbit of like jism looking shit drips down like right in front of Robert Pattinson's face, and I think it is important and meaningful um, that he after the drips have come down that he steps into the light right where they're dripping right down. under it he puts his mm-hmm. face right where it was i don't know if you picked up on this or thought this as well but this film has a lot of re- i think has a lot of repressed homosexual um subtext to it it's the subplot i mean it's, right right you yeah. think you think so as well i think there's oh, a lot absolutely. of there's mm, there's a real it's fever, rife with it there's like a feverish sexuality to this movie because yeah. it there's a lot of sexual content in here there's a ton of masturbation there's like several kind of like there's a weird moment where these two grizzled greasy hammered drunk dudes almost but don't kiss each other and yeah oh well, they're slow dancing for however long do you Man, we talk about that. We use this word on this show so frequently, but that moment right there, that like almost kiss, that is chemistry. 
right there, man. Mm-hmm. We're talking. I got some Brokeback Mountain vibes off of kind of that a chunk of the middle of this movie, like right, right in the middle, of like Act Two, I guess if you even split this thing into acts. But there's there is a weird sort of chased romance, not even chased romance, but there is definitely this. It's like a, a th- subsurface romance, or like yep. a like an uncon. It's bubbling. It's almost to a simmer, but not quite. The water's yep. moving, they, but there's they he he rests on on his chest at one point, right? And then they kind of they humorize it later when when he's yelling at him for not liking his cooking, and that's when we get the curse of Poseidon. So which is it amazing. Goes a whole, it goes several scenes. It's not just the the one moment of of possible like homosexual tension or right, right. Two dudes liking each other. It continues through. It's it's what I thought was scenes. right. What I thought was so impressive about that that moment right there, where and then they fight, and then there's like the scene where he's like, "Don't spill your beans to me," and but like that moment where they they kind of like they're dancing in a circle and they're holding each other. And what becomes really cool and really beautiful about that is you realize that they've also been stuck here for a long yeah. fucking time. Two days, six weeks. And that it's been was boat season forever. <laughs> That's another 2020 note where you realize I'll, I won't say his name because I don't know if he would be embarrassed or not. But like the, so the, the coronavirus started in like March was when the, the stay at home orders and shit started. Right. March ish. Yep. From then until now, 15th of November. I have only, other than Bird, obviously, my wife who I live with, I've only touched one human being's hand. And we were just like, we were just, we were were all hanging out at work one day, and after work we were waiting for, like, everybody to lock up. So a couple of us decided to have an arm wrestling tournament. You know, we've got our masks on and we're across the Mm -hmm. table. So, you know, I grabbed my coworker's hand and, you know, we are arm wrestling. Fucking smoked me because, you know, I'm a lazy piece of shit who barely works out. But, um, so he, like, smokes me and motivates me hardcore to start working out. And I drive, on the drive home, I was like, Joe's hand, Joe was the only human I've touched in like six or seven months and it was weird it was really weird I'm like I was like looking at my hand and I was like I haven't touched another person's hand Mm-hmm. In like we're going on a year now. We're like I've hugged in... three people in eight months, and I'm a I hug everybody. Yeah, I'm a big hugger too. I hugged my parents. Obviously, my mom didn't give me a choice. She's like, I don't yeah. care about the coronavirus. <laughs> You're hugging me. I was like, I haven't seen yep. you in eight months. Mom, hug me. You know, we held our breath, and it was a weird hug. But so they're like, I've hugged. Yeah, I've hugged like three people. I've touched one dude's hand. So when you see these people, when you see wake. And Howard dancing in a slow circle, yeah. resting their head on each other's shoulders. The fact that there's like an almost kiss that happens right after it almost doesn't change how I read that dance, which is just sometimes you need human contact. That's absolutely how I read it when it was happening, too. It's, it's like these who knows how long these two dudes have been out here. And it's not something you think about, really. You know, it like is normally well, I mean, yeah. and nowadays we do. But like this was not something I ever really gave much thought to. I've <laughs> always thought that I was a, like an introvert, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, oh, yeah, I've got some extroverted tendencies. But really, I like to read and write and do a lot of solitary activities. I write music and things. But after eight months, it, you realize that introversion is really just like kind of a kind of like a state of uh it's kind of like a hobby or a state of mind it kind of is yeah because when you don't realize how many people you normally interact with until you can't that dancing scene more than most of the other bits of the movie really cemented their isolation for me because you can see that like 
desperate, you're all I've got. And there's this great moment later when things have really gone the fuck off the rails and they've been there for, we actually don't know how long, but it's so- yeah, it's longer it than could be six months for however long we fucking know. This movie's really great about making you uncertain about time, you know, like you have no idea what's going on. So it could be like five. They've been out there for, let's say, four months, you know, and then while they're out there, he uh, Robert Pattinson's like, I'm out. I got to fucking bail. I cannot. I, I got I can't be here. And he goes and gets the lifeboat. He like runs out in the rain and he gets in the lifeboat and he starts pushing he's dragging the, it out of the fucking. Yeah, he's a great shot, by the way, him shoving the light. So great. Yeah, because you're so disoriented in the dark. You're trying to figure out what those panels are. And then it's a it's a window, but you don't realize that it just you're so confused by that camera angle. It's gorgeous. But he pushes the boat out. And then all of a sudden, like Jack Torrance in the fucking shining. Here comes Wake rolling up with a fire, like a huge fire axe in his hand. Pattinson turns around. He's like, holy shit, I'm out. Bails. And, dude, the delivery by Willem Dafoe is amazing. Don't leave me. Yeah. He wails, don't leave me, and then hacks the boat to pieces with the axe. And you realize, like, the level of madness and the level of desperation that this isolation is. That was the word that is desperation. Pure desperation. Don't leave me. Hacks the boat to pieces. It's amazing. But now then you just can't leave. Yeah, yeah, because he just now there's no prow on this thing, and you can't probably can't fix it. But then he gets That's back. That's a problem. Sitting so out now. Here's here's. Let's talk about this while we're here because I wanted to ask your opinion of this. When yes. they get back inside, and he's like, you know, they get inside, and uh, Robert Pattinson's like. You fucking crazy person. You just chase me with this axe and break up this boat. Willem Dafoe ignores it. And he's like, yeah, listen, here, we've been here for a long time. We got to keep our wits about each other. And, you know, you got to look at it from my perspective. When you're acting all crazy, Robert Pattinson, and chasing me around with an axe and you just chopped up the lifeboat, what are you doing? And as a viewer, you're watching that and you go, uh, wait a minute. Hold on. Uh. Is he gaslighting him or mm-hmm. is Robert Pattinson actually crazy? And what yep. makes it really hard to <sighs> decipher is we know that Robert Pattinson is actually crazy. We see him. I think that's why, I think that's why we get locked in that not sure what's real because it's plausible. Right. Because we've seen him lose his mind already. Right. We know he's going mad. So when Willem Dafoe keeps fucking saying... You know, when Willem Dafoe keeps saying... When you're going to chase me around with an axe... And yeah. Then, yeah. He's like, look, you're going crazy. And we're like, wait, you're gaslighting him. But he is crazy. You're gaslighting a crazy person? Or and is we're he just... fucking crazy with him, because that's what we saw. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, are we crazy? The, that's, this... the, that's the mind fuck <laughs> right the movie... <laughs> there. That's where it comes full circle, where you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> when... I'm the one that's viewing it this way as well right am i the mad one and why am i watching these two men in the lighthouse what is real anymore (laughs) what day is it have i shipped the wine club yet (laughs) yeah dude the stat struggle is real i fucking totally get it but that's the that's the big debate of this or that's what i was saying in episode one is this movie actively gaslights you it intentionally does it because it, it the pov that we have is the crazy person or is the is the thing that we're being gaslit about? So then, when Wake starts telling Robert Pattinson stuff that we have clearly seen is not true, 
but he's selling it like it's fact. You get mind fucked, man. Like yep. super crazy. Man, I haven't been mind fucked like this since. Um, oh my god, what's that Nicolas Cage movie where he plays the twins? One's a writer, and the other uh, adaptation. Uh, I've actually never seen adaptation, but <laughs> fuck, it's but super trippy and weird. Trippy and weird and mind fuckery, and uh, th- this is this movie is right up there with that as far as. So that really was, kind of messing with your head. It's very much like I'm not a Magnolia. Who's that director? It's not Charlie Kaufman, Kaufman. was the writer. Charlie Kaufman, that writer. Yeah. yeah. So like his uh, brand of mind fuckery. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind yep. comes to mind for me. But that's Absolutely. that's another Charlie Kaufman script. It's you're yeah, right. Yeah, sure is. Yeah. It's it's that kind of meticulous. <laughs> this is like a like this is like a Kaufman, like <laughs> like it, David Lynch directed a, a Kaufman script. <laughs> It's like if okay, it's if David Lynch and Panos Cosmatos teamed up to direct a Lovecraft story adapted by Charlie Kaufman. The Lighthouse. I smoked just enough weed where that has completely <laughs> blown my fucking mind. That's what I like to hear, man. Yes. Fuck yeah. If if it makes No, but but that's fucking that's makes total sense and it's not incorrect i know i think that's actually kind of not a bad way to look at this movie that's that might be pretty close not to take anything away obviously from robert eggers it's really hard to fit that on the um ad box though yeah (laughs) you're gonna have to loop it around right that's that's like you know the new york times review is very succinct and beautiful that's like the denver the denver Denver roundups yeah Colorado it's, Sun Times. The Colorado <laughs> Sun Times review says it's sort of like if Jim Jarmusch and like David Lynch directed like a Lovecraft thing, but it was adapted it's by Charlie. Charlie Kaufman. It's like a Kaufman sort of adaptation. Did you see that one? Did you see that movie? Is this going on the? Oh, is it still in? You're still recording? Okay, well, yeah, it was good. I liked it. I thought. Farming to that's a weird <laughs> rag, man. Yeah, I mean that's why I subscribe. Honestly, is for their their in depth looks at it's things. For the- um, let's jump over to the sound design. I'm I'm trying to go chronologically through yeah. the rest of the movie. So where we have been taken to at this point, we're to yeah okay. So we're to the screeching sound design for the mermaid when he meets. When he meets that mermaid, oh no, we're not. We're beating the gull to death now, which we talked about in the first one. Okay. Yeah. So he beats the gull to death. It's fucking gnarly. Um, I, okay, we're still talking about the sound design, but it's a different scene. When they first get drunk, when they first pour the, and he's like, there's this great moment when Willem Dafoe pours a drink and he's like, well, there's no harm and the inspector's not going to say anything and you can trust me, lad, so let's have a drink. And he pours two mugs. And they cheers, and they take a drink, and they put the mugs down, and Willem Dafoe refills them. And they drink, and they put the mugs down, and Willem Dafoe refills them. And on that third pour, you realize, you kind of think like they're going to have a nice leisurely dinner and have a mm-hmm. sip. But now that now that Winslow has agreed to have a drink, now they're drinking. Well, it's important because we haven't talked about it, is that... Um... Robert Pattinson is not about drinking because it's against regulations. He's very much by the book mm-hmm. as far as what they're allowed to do, what the U.S. Navy has said that they can and can't do, and drinking is not one of them. It's he the dumps handbook. out his first drink on day one, but now he's so it's super important that he's now taking that first drink. Right. Because that's when it all really starts to turn to shit. 
is as soon as he like that yeah i mean things are already weird when they start but, you know you actually you mentioned in uh i think episode one fear and loathing in las vegas yeah man it feels a lot like that once they start drinking once the court comes off and they start drinking they're not having a drink here and there they're drinking hard for the rest all of the, the movie yeah, yeah all the time like leaving las vegas levels of alcoholism are happening here Mm-hmm. And it that's that is truly when it goes off the wheels. You're right. This is when we start getting hallucinations. Mm-hmm. This is when we're getting those fucking freakish dream moments or those like weird lucid hallucination moments. So like where he uh he's just randomly and kind of out of context walking outside on outside the like the upper part of the lighthouse and he sees that someone collapsed and he rolls it over and it's him. It's him. Yeah, so like Robert Pattinson God. rolls Robert Pattinson over, and then he there, someone touches his shoulder, and he turns, and it's a completely naked Willem Dafoe, kind of low key jacked, with a huge tattoo on his chest, and iron giant light beams shooting out of his eyes, illuminating Robert Pattinson's face. That's insane. That just happens in this movie, like out of nowhere, and then like the next scene you see is like, and then he woke up. And you're like, what the He's fuck? He's like, oh, where'd I, where'd I put my mermaid doll? It's a, it's <laughs> Where's my mermaid doll to jack off to? My jack off doll. Where's well, my jack doll? <laughs> I love, by the way, uh, did, I'm sure you noticed the visual pun. Most of the time when he's masturbating, we cut, intercut to him pulling up the lobster pot. So he is literally pulling rope. Oh, He's hauling rope every time he's masturbating. We cut to the lobster pot, just hauling rope. So, <laughs> I know, right? Like the the child, like the childish jokes in here too. They're funny. Work them in when you can. Oh, for sure. It's like a, but it's it's kind of weird because it's like a poop joke in Citizen Kane, you know. Well, this is that's like the most artistic poop joke you've ever seen, though. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> it's like speaking the most of poop art jokes, house version of a poop joke ever. <laughs> Speaking of poop jokes, the classiest poop joke. I shit myself at work today. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> just what the fuck? Hold on. What is it? Just trying to keep up? Just couldn't keep up with the the crush of wine club. Well, no, it was it's funny because right, I'm is... I'm on like 57 three start of keto in the last three weeks because it's hard. <laughs> And I was lifting a wine box onto a pallet, and I went to sneak a fart out, and it wasn't, and I had to leave early. <laughs> I, got, I got home from work, and Danielle's like, oh, you're home a little early. I'm like, yeah, I shit my <laughs> Dude, that keto is no joke, man. You can't... Oh, it was... It was like oh. it's like someone had chewed up and then spit out an oatmeal cream pie. That's the most horrible <laughs> thing you've ever said, you fucking monster! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, the first the first couple of days was just all liquid shit because oh. I'm eating avocado and protein powder. Like, oh wait, here. Speaking of liquid shit. <laughs> Speaking of liquid shit, how'd you feel about fucking Robert Pattinson catching two chamber pots to the face? Oh, that's fucking gross, man. <laughs> like, you know, the one bit of trivia that I did read is that was a nod to the Big Lebowski. Yeah, when they're spreading Donnie's ashes, I was yeah. kind of wondering because it he one of the Donnie's ashes moment, but with shit, shit like runny, 
it's not turpentine yet, but it's like runny liquor shit and, and drunk shit. piss in his face. It's Williams and PBR shits. Oh God, it's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is, and it smells like cigarettes for sure. It's <laughs> like how does shit smell? Shit, fucking cigarette shit. It does though. Like you, there's no scientific reason that it should, but it, like it does. Wet tobacco. Oh my God, it's so gross. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and I love one of the things I really respected about Robert Pattinson's um, performance here is a lot of times when male actors have to like scream, they'll do a roar. Uh, listeners, you know, I have a I have a higher pitched voice than like most dudes and I force it down sometimes. It's a bad habit that I have. But like when I'm when I get excited, my voice comes up here and it's all squeaky and shit. But if you're doing like if I was on a movie set and the director was like, I need you to scream, I'd be like. No! How bad? You know, you like you try and be manly. Pattinson Absolutely. does not, dude. Robert Pattinson just screams like you'd scream, and his voice is like goes high. It's kind of a. I, I don't want to. It's it's a. It is a air quotes feminine scream. It's you know right. what I mean. It's kind of well, wild and unhinged. He goes into an upper register because he's. He's going because he's going for it. Yeah, he like really is screaming. So he's got his face covered in shit, and he screams. And so again, it's this brilliant decision that when they're outside, show the wide shot because it really shows the desolation. It really establishes that that psychological weight that's all around them. Those chamber pots in the face are fucking gross. So at, right after the chamber pots thing, actually, it's immediately after because he's pushing coal in the rain with shit all over his face because he hasn't been able to wash it off. Which is, and he's got another cigarette plugged into his mouth. Of course. Well, if your face is covered in shit, Carl, you got to get rid of that smell somehow. I don't think they got Vicks vapor rub, so it's uh, just, that's true. just loading up a Chester Duodenum. God damn it! With his own. Poop on his face. Yeah, I know. It's it's his poop and it's Wake's poop and it's on his face and he's pushing coal and that's when he finds so he finds the what we think is a dead girl. It's a creepy scene because we get the Laura Palmer reveal and then we go down the body and because it's a dead body, when it gets to the you're like, are they gonna show her breast? Oh, they do. Okay, and then Robert Pattinson starts like fondling it and you're like, oh god, Mm. you have to. I didn't know I was signing up for necrophilia. Damn it. Well, okay. I've seen worse shit. I watched funny games recently, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but then you get to the gills in her hips and you get the mermaid reveal and she starts, it's amazing because she starts screaming and that drives him away from her and it drives him to scream. But be- the sound design, when he opens his mouth to scream, it's just her wail and her wail is like this. I, they just layered multiple voices over each other, mm-hmm. I think, or used like an octave shifter. But her voice is like, like high, super sonic frequency, like, Wah! like way up there. But also, it's like, Wah! like a normal human's voice. It's haunting. And when he drops to his knees and screams, he completely eclipses her, and it's just her screaming. And that kind of makes me wonder if that's exactly what's happening. He's just mm. screaming with shit on his face on the rocks in the rain, and there is no mermaid behind him screaming at all um yeah i thought Fuck, that was, man. yeah i thought it was super super fucking amazing uh the storm the st- when they so right after the storm comes right after he sees the mermaid like it starts to mm-hmm. rain and the weather gets a little shitty 
and we get that long shot of them standing in the rain on the rocks looking out to sea. Mm-hmm. It's similar to the the shot when they first arrived and they were watching the boat go. Right. It's uh, that which actually that shot is the first shot. We talked about it in a little bit in episode one where you get two characters standing sort of in a like portrait-esque pose where it looks like they've been positioned and they're looking right down the barrel. And then we talked about a little bit how it looks like snapshots out of history. So it kind of makes it feel more real. Yes. And of course, Robert Eggers makes it feel more real by referring to the events in the film sometimes as though they have real world implications. This movie feels weird, dude. It makes you feel weird when you're done with it. (laughs) Even Uh, weeks later after you've, well, I mean, it's. I've carried this movie with me like I've carried Midsummer, just for different reasons. Yeah, they're they're both kind of harrowing films about really intense trials. Yeah, they're not like feel good movies. They're certainly they're Midsummer certainly not. is though for me. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, I'm I'm actually we're gonna talk about it again. We're gonna finish that one up, uh, listener. We're gonna finish that one up this Thursday, so you get Midsummer Part Two coming up really quickly. Um, Carl and I are gonna finish that one off, but that one I'm gonna watch it again for Part Two. Yeah. I have no problem spinning that again because it's so goddamn good. And well, I feel the same way about this movie. So do actually, I. so do I. I Absolutely. feel like we have lucked the fuck out in the last few movies that we've watched since quarantine tape. I would watch Us anytime, Get Out anytime, yep. Midsummer anytime. This movie, The Lighthouse anytime. This Any last time. this last month was really good. Um, yeah. And- like so these and those ones you just mentioned are all like totally top tier but honestly the next the next movie we're going to talk about the first movie for November technically planes trains and automobiles watching that after watching we we ran into this actually in season 1 mm-hmm. you can only watch so many really heady highbrow masterpieces back to back to back before you need a palate cleanser something yep. funny and kind of more lowbrow because Absolutely. you can get intellectually burned out on like films if you don't watch enough flicks, you know. You lose your fucking perspective, man. And I think for in despite all of the crazy shit that's going on that's been derailing us and jamming us up, I think our last four films mm-hmm. were perfect together and I think that the movies that we're going to hit in November are a perfect palate cleanser for them. So like I we lucked out into having a really excellently structured stream of episodes when really it was like, fuck, Bird and I are in isolation for five <laughs> days, so what do you want to watch? You know, it was a lot yeah. of that. Um, let's talk about the drunk acting because we haven't really gotten into it. No, well, I'm. it's kind of like the elephant in the room, really. The drunk um, acting? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... It's, well, I mean, it's like because it's one of the things. I mean, it's a fucking, it's a Quill and Filmy, right? And half of this movie is two drunk people in a room, right? Um, so you know that we're going to be talking about it, and they're probably like, "Why haven't they talked about the drunk acting yet? They talked about <laughs> Jester Duodenum's already, but they haven't talked about the goddamn we needed to get this fucking thing. We had to get the smokes they're... out of the way before we talked about the one solid hour of I can't p- even... perfect drunk acting." And it because it's going, it's kind of like Nicolas Cage in 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 Leaving Las Vegas. It's not one kind of drunk. It's it's hungover drunk trying to find a pot to piss in. The turpentine it's super drunk. fucking hammered. It's getting ready to be drunk again. It's the phases in, in and out of drinking your they drink 
they drink themselves so sober at one point. Which is yes, you don't see that Weird in movies very often. You we saw it in <laughs> Leaving Las Vegas. So I was trying to figure that out because you gotta, you have to give these guys drunk acting. Both of them. Um, it's, it's it's really good. It's hard drunk acting. The reason we have a Quill and Filmy for it is it's fucking hard to do. You end up doing, uh, <laughs> you know, as Nicole Kidman in Eyes Wide Shut. That's what Which most is how I do it. Yeah, I mean that's how that's how I that's how everybody does it because it's hard being. Being drunk is like a really specific and yet individual experience. So you need to hit all of the big notes of being drunk, but then you also need to make it your own. So it's believable that this is how this person is when they're drunk. Yeah, because we are our yeah we are our own unique personality in that space. It's not just an intoxicant. It's a personality amplifier slash Mm -hmm. distorter. It's not just fucking this right the slur this is giving you the mannerisms and the speech pattern of being drunk this yeah we talked that's to, not acting drunk we that, talked to i mean it is it's just acting drunk poorly poorly <laughs> it's right. nicole kidman and uh, eyes wide shut we can say that about her because we actually like nicole kidman quite a lot she's a very talented actress so yeah. i mean fucking totally everybody gets to watch ghosts or whatever shit uh, ghosts. Uh, we could. You could watch. Uh, what was the one we did? We did the Beguiled with Nicole Kidman. It was fucking killer. Well, I Fur, didn't like the movie, but she was great. She's in good. Fur, an imaginary portrait of Deanna Arbus. She's kicking in that flick. Nicole Kidman. Days of Thunder. She's fucking incredible. Yes, dude. She's a good actress. So really, okay. So now we're just being like, sorry, we shit in your mouth, Nicole Kidman. <laughs> this is our bad. <laughs> You're so talented and pretty and good. You were kind of not good in Eyes Wide Shut, but everyone gets one bad one. <laughs> Listen in as measuring Flick's backpedals out of... <laughs> Scrabbling to crawl out of the hole they've dug themselves. Um, but yeah, like, dude, the, the fact that we get... I was trying to figure out whether or not I thought that this or Leaving Las Vegas was better drunk acting. And it, I'm pretty comfortable with Leaving Las Vegas is better drunk acting. I don't think I, I can't compare them. I can't. I put them both, all three in the same level. I don't think one is better than the other. I feel like they are both about as fucking perfect as they can be I th- with different. All right. Different things going on. I, I, mean, I totally agree. I yeah. I my different slightly different perspective. I give the edge to leaving Las Vegas because it is such a comprehensive performance that is explicitly and almost exclusively focused on On the drunk acting of the alcohol this movie these performances have more going on different focuses the drunk acting is part of it but but it's not the story it's not it's not the story and it's not the totality of the performance nicholas cage right in leaving las vegas there's not a sober moment that's a that is a movie with a drunk with a man who's drunk acting from frame one to the closing credits and never cracks the whole time that's a whole that is a different kind of drunk acting for me so i give the edge to that movie but in this this is a very impressive accomplishment let's talk really quickly about a bit of drunk acting that i thought uniquely and interestingly echoed some acting in midsummer this was really cool for me Mm -hmm. the what sequence What? what 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 
what, what? And they just get stuck in a loop of repeating what back to each other. They synchronize for a moment, and then they're just screaming what into each other's faces. And it's the same thing earlier when they were, they're pounding drinks. They're doing the three drinks, and that last bang of the cup on the table starts the banging for the drinking song. It's this thing where sound design and score and soundtrack and plot become weirdly inextricably linked and become part of an experience that pushes strange buttons in your mind. We talk about how Midsummer's a mindfuck. A big part of why it's a mindfuck is the sound design. I mean, right from frame one, we have score that is dragging you in as well. Right. Fuck, man. I mean, we get get, uh, the over the opening title card, we get a woman sobbing in grief. In Midsummer, we get a woman sobbing in grief in a mm-hmm. snowstorm. In this movie, we get the the they're they're banging their glasses down as they're doing shots, and then it turns into the beat of a drinking song. And in, there's a great moment where Willem Dafoe comes upstairs after the night shift to wake uh, Robert Pattinson up, and he goes, uh, "The light's gonna need some oil." And he lays down on the bed with his lungs fully exhaled, and we see him in profile so we can see that his lungs are empty and his belly is down and you can see his ribs. And he farts, and he goes, as he breathes in, and the breathing in becomes the foghorn. So it, it looks like his belly rising is creating the sound of the foghorn. So it's a fart followed by a foghorn sound, which is hilarious, but is also, it really reminds you of a belly. Yeah. It's really awesome filmmaking where they're paying attention to how the elements interact rather than just, here's a story and we filmed it for you. You know, like this is thoughtful filmmaking. It's going to be creepy because the room we set decorated to look old and creepy. Both you and I have started doing David Lynch accents. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to meditate. I'm going to drink two pots of coffee and meditate for four hours. <laughs> like Make some quinoa. I, but, you know, like at the same time, I'm drinking more coffee just because of David Lynch these days. So God. I drank Shivas on the Rocks because of Hunter S. Thompson. Amen. Dude, there's a, oh God, not to derail us, but on Spotify, there's a song. I think it's called Ready to Write. It's Joe Rogan reading Hunter S. Thompson's daily, like, drug-slash-writing thing, and it's remixed into a club dance track. It's fucking awesome. I listen to it all the time. Um, Marijuana to take the edge off. (laughs) uh, Start, uh, uh, what is it? Start start cocaine seriously. That's at, like, five. Start doing cocaine seriously. Seriously. That's at, like, 8 p.m. or 11 p.m. or some shit. Anyway, um, back to the, the what drunk acting that's when we get the beautiful awesome line where robert pattinson stands up and there's a desperation that reminds me of like master and commander at the far side of the world when they've been in the Mm. doldrums for a while you know and everyone's getting a little desperate and mutiny's kind of in their eyes it's when robert pattinson goes i want steak i want a goddamn steak beat if i had a steak i'd fuck it (laughs) (laughs) he just drops that on us and leaves it there Talk about talk about a great line, dude, because you I don't know about you. I'm hungry literally every second of every day. I'm constantly Doesn't, fucking starving. I'm starving from well 
when I'm stuffed and feel like I want to throw up on myself, I'm also sort of thinking to myself, I can't wait till I'm hungry again so I can have pizza. I know. It's like, oh, God, I wish I just wasn't so full because there is a pumpkin pie over there that hasn't yep. even been cut into yet. But, like, yep. most of the day I'm starving. And there's been a couple times where, you know, Bird and I are trying to be healthier, especially with food being kind of weird to get right now. You know, yeah. grocery runs are a different thing than they used to be. We're eating a lot more vegetables, though, but, dude, sometimes after, like, a fucking week of eating vegetarian or, like, oh, it's TVP tacos, by Sunday, I am, like, give me something. You're a different person. <laughs> I need blood. Give me veins. You know, you're, like, you got, dude. I want this sinew yeah, stringing I've, from dude, my I've, teeth. I've been there where I'm, like, give me a round roast to fuck. You know, like, you turn into... <laughs> Just a monster. Well, you go shopping and use the raw meat. You want to just rip the cellophane off and just <laughs> go to fucking town, man. Been there. Yeah, we bird uh, this this last time around. I need it right here. <laughs> Where's the beef? Like bird has been writing in steak and beef recipes because she's like, yeah, I figured we'd do some vegetarian, but I know you'll be like grumpy if we don't yeah, get oh, some. Yeah. <laughs> you get all fucking weird when we don't have some blood in the rest your eyes, your eyes turn yellow <laughs> so so this is the bit where he's like you know if i had a steak i'd fuck it and you know willem dafoe laughs and then he goes but you like you you like my lobster though right don't lie i my favorite fucking scenes in the movie dude and not only because it leads directly into possibly the greatest monologue ever delivered by a human being you know <laughs> like in a movie that the academy awards just ignored fuck you academy awards um because he, he stands, you know, he's, there's this bit where Pattinson's like, how could I ever like any of the garbagey, trashy shit that you fucking cook, you terrible cook? And then Willem Dafoe. You don't like my lobster? Yeah. And Willem Dafoe stands up and starts like that weird like seafaring we talked in the last episode a little bit about like a seafaring chant kind of like it sounds it almost it's like a it's like old sailor's magic mm -hmm. but it sounds like a weird cross between poetry and like a hymn you know it it's very weird but in this one like he's, not a shanty but close to it yeah it's like if a if a sailor's shanty song was a spell or like mm -hmm. a but it's a very dark, old magic. You know what I mean? So there's, I love how it starts too. Willem Dafoe closes his eyes and like seems to be summoning. Also, when he says, when he starts this thing and he's like, all right, when the first words out of his mouth, there's a crack of thunder. Like, you know, and the wind. Part picks of me up. wanted to think that that was like super cheesy, but it immediately got thrown into the that is totally stupid to even consider <laughs> box in my brain there's parts of this movie that you you feel like like oh that's cheesy or like oh that's that's like that's almost like a pastiche but the only reason is because the the films from the time period that this film is homaging use those techniques there is there is very definitely boris karloff and bella lugosi in... Dracula is all over this fucking movie. No, not just the movies. I agree with you that there's right. But, but I mean those those performances, Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. I think that Willem Dafoe is intentionally injecting some of the acting tropes 
of that time period into this performance. So some of the moments where he seems a little big or a little like eyes bulging and oh, it's me sea shanty voice. I think he's putting a little bit of 1920s acting technique into his performance, which is one, super nerdy and two, perfect for this film. Mm hmm. And this is one of those examples, you know, the eyes closed and the cracking thunder and the lightning flashes and the wind is ripping at the, you know, like all that shit's going on. And part of you is sitting there like, this is kind of hokey, right? But then Willem Dafoe opens his eyes and doesn't close them for four minutes and fucking just screams a spell at you. And we don't cut away because the actor, the director wants us to see that Willem Dafoe is not blinking because he's a psychopath. Yeah. Dude, he's actually crazy in that moment. There's not acting going on. I agree. I think Willem he Defoe goes has lost his fucking mind and is lost in that moment and is lost in that scene. We talk. Period. We we throw a lot of praise toward the Daniel Day Lewises and the oh, Tom yeah. Hardys and the Gary Oldmans. Definitely, you know, like those are kind of our like underground rock stars on measuring flicks of like we always talk about who's the greatest living actor and oh, is it Ian McKellen? Is it Michael Fassbender? You know, Tom Hardy does amazing work, obviously, but one person we overlook a lot of the time, of course, you know, like Robin Williams, things like that. But we don't talk about Willem Dafoe that much. Mm -mm. And Willem Dafoe is my favorite kind of actor. One who has done his blockbusters, he's done his big movies, but really this man seems to be motivated by what is interesting and where can he try something that he hasn't tried before. We, uh, when you get movies like Deer Hunter mm-hmm. or when you get movies like um, recently, there was one, I can't remember what it was called, but very recently there's a movie where he plays basically a a, a a hunter who's hired to go and kill the last Tasmanian tiger. It takes place in, um, I think Australia. It's got Sam Neill in it. Hmm. It's, it's super good, but like Willem Dafoe's in that. And that's a weird movie. He's in boondock saints and he's the strangest. He's the strangest part of that. If it wasn't for, if it wasn't for him, that movie would have been fucking horrible. He, unwatchable and that's kind of i think that's kind of true for any movie willem dafoe's in is like spider-man yes the first spider-man movie would have sucked without him and honestly without him as a green gob absolutely i'm not a huge fan of like two and three they're they're fun i like them fine three is kind of you know we, everyone knows three jumps the shark a little but the first one it's kind of like twilight wouldn't have been great without alfred molina so totally true Totally true. The the first, it's that thing though, where it's like when anytime Robin Williams is in a movie, you're like, oh, oh, fuck yeah, Robin Williams. Anytime you see Jim Carrey pop up, if it's a drama or a comedy or or a horror or whatever, you're like, I'm in good hands. When Willem Dafoe pops up, you're like, I'm about to see oh, some shit. Exactly. You like buckle up when Willem Dafoe's in. You're like, he's gonna do some next level wild. St- he's gonna make choices that no one else could pull off. And he's gonna make it work for him. He's he's gotta be like I feel that way about Gina Davis a lot. So do like I. In the movies that she was in, dude. Right? He, you know when Gina Davis is gonna be in a movie, whether it's a comedy like Beetlejuice or a fucking badass action flick like The Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah, you know it's gonna be fucking good. Gina, yeah, Gina Davis is great a in fucking, everything. Or you watch a heartwarming goddamn baseball movie, <laughs> League of Their Own. Um, speaking Their own. speaking of Gina Davis. Uh, pro tip for our fun move, measuring flicks official tip for our listeners and you, dude. If you don't have Tubi yet, 
T-U-B-I. You can get it on your Roku. It's a streaming app thing. Pronounced Doku. What? Pronounced Doku. Uh, uh, the Doku? Sorry, yeah. We're, I forget, dude. You're deeper into Japanese than I am right now. I've been lax about it, but I'm going to get back on it. Okay. But like the uh, so Tubi's a streaming service. It's totally free. Um, they've got a lot of people who listen to this show and like it, like the movies that were that we talk about and stuff. Would really really love Tubi. It's a lot of weird shit. Like the Mountain of the Cannibal God is on there, for example. Shit. Yeah, All it's right. like B movies, really obscure stuff, horror stuff. But one of the things that's on there right now is Earth Girls Are Easy with. Jeff Goldblum, Damon Wayans, Jim Carrey, and Gina Davis all in the same movie, dude. (laughs) Oh, that movie I got caught watching and I got in trouble because my dad thought it was a porno movie. (laughs) A musical porno movie? Yep. Hey, man. I mean, it's what's that? No, I don't want to derail us. There's another movie. There's a movie I got caught watching as a kid. It's like 70s sci-fi movie. Uh, Barbarella. That's what it is. I got caught, oh. which actually kind of basically is a softcore porno set in space. So. Pretty much is, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, one of okay. So we get let's let's talk briefly about Willem Dafoe's Poseidon curse monologue, the actual monologue proper, not the lead up to it, but the the non moving camera delivery of this oh so you know how we've already talked about movies like midsummer make you feel like you're being taken under i felt like i was being cursed like it was haunting dude like like don't i didn't want him to say more words because i knew the 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 new words he were was going to say was going to be damning just making it more powerful like the effect and the effect is so like don't you say your spot yeah like if if more words come out, it's gonna be more parts of the spell, and there's gonna be real fucking ramifications that happen. Oh my god! Right, right. When it, God, when it ramp the way that he modulates. Because look, when you give an actor a monologue that is very intense, right? Because okay, there's you can map out a monologue. I'm gonna start at this energy level. We're gonna work up to here. This is him. Fucking blind drunk, maybe already having drunk turpentine at this point. I'm not positive, but like he's like delirium tremens, like strung out one month bender, fucked up drunk, screaming. It would be really easy to just do that monologue at 11 the whole way mm-hmm. and just scream it. You know, it was weird while I was watching this. I, this is this monologue is one I think honestly one of the best p- top three for sure monologues I've ever seen in my life. It's amazing. It's amazing. I put it up there with like the monologue from Hesher. It's fucking killer. Right under uh, coffees for closers and yeah, dude, it it lives in that wheelhouse of like the coffee is for closers monologue. P- everyone should know this thing. Everyone should see this. This is amazing. But the way that Willem Dafoe takes a monologue that is just him screaming it's just him like being really intense chanting this curse at but while while i was watching this i was thinking there's one other person i'd like to see do this not because i think that they would do it any better at all i think they would probably do it just for their take on just for their take on it It, there it's not it's going to be actually not probably that great but i would love to see Nicolas cage do this Fuck yeah, man. You knew I was going to say that, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yep. It's not going to be... Before, 
better, but it's, it's good. It's hard not to because of the connection we've already made with this flick and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So, or, uh, uh, not Fear and Loathing, <laughs> Leaving Las leaving Vegas. Leaving Las Vegas, yeah, yeah. Well, we've talked about both, so... But no, like one of the things I thought was so amazing about this is he manages to inject nuance and he modulates the emotions he's feeling. Sometimes as there's moments in this monologue where he is calling down the furthest wrath of Poseidon on Winslow and rage is in his face. But there's this amazing moment in the middle of the monologue where you can see that he is kind of regretting that he started this. He's like, he's really not a bad guy. You know, he's not a bad lad. But I've got myself all sorts of riled up. Well, and that's actually a mat one. Forever. That's a magical yeah. tenant too. It is very dangerous to stop a ritual halfway through. You shouldn't. If you once you get it going, you can't leave the circle and you can't stop. You gotta. You gotta finish it because if you don't, you've left things undone. You fuck things up. You left stuff open, and it's dangerous. And I think in some weird, like folk magic way, some some seafaring, some sailor magic way, Defoe knows that here. You know, so wake. So he's done fucked up either way. Yeah, you can hear it in his voice, and you can see it in his his ravaged face. You can see regret. You know, he's like, oh, no, I feel guilty. And there's a moment where he looks like he's he's still like delivering it with gusto, but he looks like he's going to cry. And then some of the anger comes back and some of the rage comes back. And the fact that in an in an a turned to 11 monologue, you get an arc still is a testament to Willem Dafoe's acting ability. This is a really truly amazing performance i this i mean there's another movie i really love of his that a lot of people haven't seen because to be fair it's really really disturbing uh it's called antichrist mm. antichrist directed, that movie's caught a lot of shit over the years it sure has have you seen have you seen it no because i can't ever find it it's a lars von trier film and if you can find it Listener, if you if you have a stomach for some for an for an extreme but intensely well made film, it's one of the best horror dramas I've ever seen in my life. But I'm telling you, it's like I would say hostile two levels of of mm-hmm. grotesque gore, and because it's not couched in the the fun like you know this is a horror movie with slashing stuff the violence in it is actually kind of disturbing it's a fucked up movie but if you want to see willem dafoe truly at his finest like lighthouse good if you want to see another performance with willem dafoe that is this good it is antichrist it's good it's a good goddamn movie man um all right so that monologue is killer we get a pretty amazing shot right after this. It's one of my favorite in the movie. It is the wheelbarrow. F- okay, a liquor bottle rattling in a wheelbarrow full of coal and rain. It's a Tom Waits lyric on a screen, man. Like oh, holy shit! <laughs> well, this is because the- oh my god, this has gone from bad to worse with his drinking because now he's just drinking all the time now. Bottles while too. he's pushing fucking. Full bottles that, while he's pushing coal. What am I? He doesn't give a fuck anymore. No, he's done. He's cashed out. He's like, I'm gonna just the one that didn't drink in the beginning, right? Teetotaler. Re- he's a teetotaler, and he was against reg- regulations. 
God, dude, the the fact that right before we get the first, it's been weeks that gaslighting thing. The, right before we get that, the fact that we see him shoveling coal into the foghorn, and he picks up the liquor bottle, and he pops the cork, and he goes to take a drink, and he's like, "No, I can't." He just smells it and he caps it back up and puts it down. And it's right after that that we find out that he might have been delirious for weeks on like a week long or- weeks of be- of being on a drunken bender. Like, mm. dude, it's but for real, though, that's like that's another one of those weird things. I think we can talk frankly. I'm cool with it. Like, yeah, in 2020 COVID time, man, I cannot tell you how many like. You know, we've had, you know, okay, I got four days off. I'm going to get stuff done. But then COVID time sets in and now it's like two or three days later and you're like, what? How the fuck did two or three days happen? What the fuck? I would- and there, there's definitely moments like during that day where you're like, you know, it's like one, one thirty, right? And you've got your sandwich and you're like, oh yeah, sandwich for lunch. And I'll, well, I'll put on uh third rock from the sun, which is free on Voodoo right now. And, uh, and then you look over and you see like the whiskey bottle and you're like. I could have a. Mm-hmm. I could make me a little old fashioned. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I better not. I better not. No, no, no. This is just. This is just because I'm locked in my house. But I mean, really, like an old fashioned's not. It's only like mm-hmm. it's three ounces, and if you just have one, really. But there's there is definitely that moment when you are fucking locked down. Or a I've been sp- drinking straight liquor, man. Yeah, I got. I've gone from like I was a PBR drinker to maybe mar- my martinis are one of my favorites, right? Right. Right. And we'll buy a glass of wine or a bottle of wine. Now I'm just like fucking pouring straight booze over ice, man. Yeah, let's get like on the uh, stuff on the rocks. Yeah, I've been mm-hmm. uh, lately. I've what I've been doing is I've been drinking more wine lately, mostly just because I love it. Wine, yeah, wine is delicious. But dude, the the like the being stuck and isolated and not around anyone and yeah. it, like. Think especially with the way that it's being reported, like 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 hardcore substance abuse. You and I have talked about this, and you and I we we are like definitely aware that we're we've picked up we're drinking a little bit more or like smoking a little bit more weed than usual. But like some of the stories that I've heard and are seeing, it's like people are blowing all the way out to like lighthouse levels of shit. Yeah, they're they're fully um, relapsing on like years and years and years of of and you know. AA or drug of drug abuse that's horrible man it's com- yeah it's completely fucked and but in 2020 having just watched the lighthouse in a weird way it makes you empathize more with these two characters you're like i uh, you, you guys have been trapped for it. four months or five months on this rock i understand this I, which is weird because we have a new sort of empathy for them because we have some shared experience that we wouldn't have had yeah, otherwise. Who would have thought watching The Lighthouse that the scenario would seem familiar? Like, what in the hell? <laughs> like you said, we're talking about The Shining. How how would we ever find any common ground with that flick unless you're camping in the woods? Dude, I, I know that like, episode one, you had a hot take on The Shining, and I know, oh, I know. You, you and I, I still have more to say, but that's okay. cool. Yeah, I think you and I, are, I we talked with Bert. I talked with Bert about this, but for your long walk with the King, I'd love to watch that with you and talk with yeah. you about it for sure. It. But like one of the things that I was struck with watching watching The Shining with Bird, but also thinking back on The Shining is, especially in the movie version, the book Jack Torrance is very easy to empathize with for sure. Mm-hmm. 
I uh, Stephen King and I I agree. I never really liked the sort of like white knuckle sober Jack Torrance. You know, I I I like the fuller arc that the book gives. But who'd yeah. have thought that watching The Shining, you'd kind of empathize a little now with Jack Torrance? Isn't that fucking crazy? It's wild, dude. You're watching when he was sh- taking that first because when I watched it recently, when he's taking that first drink of a Jack Daniels, and he does the like. I was like, yeah. Last on my last. My last one before this last one viewing of it, that's I had a whole different read where I was like, oh, no, Jack's drinking again. He's going to kill his kid. <laughs> this time I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Needed a I drink. Get it. No, no, but I get it. so when I watched it with Bird, I, it was like Mar- uh, I think it was April. So I was like, I had the same response where you're like, yeah, and he goes in there and he falls off the wagon, that bad fucker. Yeah. But now it's November 15th, bro. And he goes mm-hmm. in, and when Grady pours him that glass, and he's like, you know, like, why don't you just make it a double? And and he he's dr- just sitting there drinking whiskey on the rocks. You're like, you I know, yeah. you know, though, like <laughs> being fucking inside a whole bunch is kind of shit. <laughs> um. All right, let's talk about let's talk about masturbation, Carl. Again, perfect. Yeah, dude, I'm not even kidding you. Like, I know this. <laughs> No, Given, I have like a page and a half on JNO. Dude, my I have like five I have a five line like eloquent note about masturbation. This move isn't this show fun? <laughs> this po- this podcast of ours is great. Um I felt weird about doing it for a few days after watching this movie, though. I felt like someone was watching me. I you know, I, I finished it today, so I haven't had a chance to to see how I respond now that I have the image of fish vagina in my head. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to not pop in there at the wrong time. It re- dude, it reminded me of Midsummer again in a way, you know, like where where that seamless use of CG, where they're mm-hmm. using CG very sparingly, but it, because it's not in there much, when they use it, it works. This is one of those because that's I don't think that's a prosthetic. What I think that is is an yeah. actual close up of a, of like a human vagina. Play- it's a, it's based on a shark. Uh, shark's vagina. So wait, was it was it a digital effect or was it a practical? I believe know? it's I believe it's practical and it was molded after a shark's vagina. Holy shit! Because it looks, it really looks like amazing. It, the, the effect is yeah. amazing. Honestly, it's. Have you ever seen? There's a movie called The Lure. By the way, listeners, if you haven't seen The Lure, it's on Criterion right now. I think it is. It's a it's a mermaid. Just, this this episode is just pitching out other movies to watch. I fucking love it. Hey man, it's our show. It's like we we'll yeah. we'll cover it someday. But I love giving people shit to to check out. Um, it's one of the reasons I listen to our show. Oh, Casey Shiby. <laughs> Casey Shiby watched the lure with me at our house the last time she came up to visit her and John the day after they showed us Swiss Army Man because they showed us a wacky, weird, fucked up movie, and I'm like. Okay, I don't know if I can top that, but here's the lure. It's a, uh, I want to say it's a Swedish horror comedy mermaid musical something. But it, and it's, it, it's like the set, the, the, the staging and all the musical numbers were, the way that it's presented, it seems like David Bowie was involved. It's that kind of thing. Oh my God. It's got like a throwback, like 70s and 80s, like disco pop thing going on but it's fucked up it's really dark it might actually be set in russia now that i think oh my god it's it's cool it's super cool um 
but that movie has like mermaid fucking in it as well. Mermaid fucking is always weird. Well, because mermaids are weird. Yeah, mermaids are half fish people. Like, but but that's a thing. Like the sexy mermaid, the alluring mermaid, right? Now I've seen. But I always wondered, even even when I was a kid, like where do I where do I do it? Though? Yeah, like how does how does mer- Ariel's hot? Where do I go in? How mermaid? <laughs> how mermaid work? How mermaid work? How, how mermaid work? But like, man, this movie. Like, one of the things I love. I watch jerk. How mermaid work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no shit. That second jerk off session that he's got. I love the the editing here because it's these fast feverish cuts. We cut to him like he's desperate. Uh, <laughs> gentleman in the crowd, dude, he's desperately masturbating. <laughs> it's that thing where you're like. You're like, shit, I really have to go. I've got the lunch thing. I fucking, I've only got like two more minutes. But now you're stressed, so you can't well, constantly. stressed out. Now right? you're stressed ah. out. And you're, but, but no, like that's the fucking, the way they cut this, that frenetic editing where it's like, bam, cut to the mermaid, like that weird mermaid vagina tail thing. Bam, cut to the striking harpoon. Talk about symbolism. Like mm-hmm. we literally see a vagina and then a harpoon like punches down in the next shot. And what I love is I think that that harpoon, because we also see the back of um, the blonde guy's head, right? And that mm-hmm. har- that harpoon thing, that's a log catcher. So what I'm wondering is the story that we hear him tell later when he air quotes spills the beans. I wanted to kill him. I wanted to hit him with that harpoon, but I didn't. I didn't do it. He just sort of fell into the water and I did stood there and didn't do anything. We are. We think that's the truth because he's held on to it for so long. This must be the truth. Is it though? Because I kind of think that he is repressing some memories, and he maybe murdered this dude with the harpoon, and that's what he's that's flashing in his head as he's masturbating to his image of the mermaid. Like this movie is one of those films that gives you a million questions, and it gives you answers, but it gives you multiple answers to each question, and then it doesn't. Fucking episode of Lost. It is. It kind of is. It's like if Lost. I know. Look, I know. There's a lot of hardcore Lost fans out there, but it's if like. Oh, it's ridiculous. It, it, Lost is pretty good. I've watched a lot of Lost. First three seasons, it. but anyway. My brother's a huge fan, but like this is if Lost was really meticulously and carefully plotted out from the beginning with every beat perfectly interlacing yeah. everything else. And then they still shoehorned the mystery in just to fuck with your head. Still didn't know what was going on. Yeah. 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 That's the lighthouse. It's like lost times a hundred and done perfectly. You know, and that's again, I'm not taking too much away from lost. You know, I like lost. I watched lost. I watched alias. We, there's other shows from the early 2000s. Uh, you, I you're a J.J. Abrams fan. <laughs> what it sounds like. Who doesn't love J.J. Abrams? I like his Star Trek movies too. I know that's my hot take. I know some people don't like those a whole lot. I'm a big fan. I, except for the lens flare one, which I think is what's. That's right. the first one. Is it the first? So many yeah. They no. all have lens. They, they all are just like. I thought it was. Dwarf. I thought it was the con one. I thought the con one had. Too oh, the many. con one is just one big lens, lens flare, flare city. Yeah, mm-hmm. although it does have smenishman flash in it. <laughs> it it has a Burlington Coat Factory. In <laughs> Bordeaux Hufflepuff, like in a <laughs> yeah. weird way. That's still his name. That's Bindley still Bob Bindersnatch. As long. Spindle, Spindle Hand, Mandy Pant. 
spindle that's haunting spindle hand mandy pants should be our third <laughs> film that we make the third film from from <laughs> don't go in there that's the home of spindle hand handy pants thinking about going up to death lake you don't want to go up there haven't you heard of spindle hand <laughs> whatever the fuck it was what was it Spindle hand Mandy pant. I have to write this down. Spindle. <laughs> Actually, I think this is maybe a side quest in uh, that one pitch that I get yeah. the, the hair pitch. That one. I think this one might I, be. Sp- give me the last. Mandy pant. Man- Mandy pant. Mandy pant. It, like for whatever reason, that's the grossest part of that <laughs> name for me. Um. So we. Yeah, but I love. I love the manic. It's Benedict. Cumberbatch, though, is what we're thinking. Yes, his name is Benedict Cumberbatch. It's like Daniele Hartelli. Like, there is a real name in there somewhere, but it's less interesting than all of the fun iterations that are made up around it. It's why we gave uh, Connor Sweeney shit for 100,000 years. Um, The manic score to that, the manic cutter, all of the, all of the elements of the film. We've talked about this with most of the films that we've talked about for, like, the last month the last four episodes or so the the cinematography the score the sound design the editing the performance everything together is working synergistically that's difficult to make every element influence and and improve every other element is really a hard thing to do that's a high level of artistic achievement and that's what we're seeing here man um i love I love the way that he collapses because we saw earlier a cool little uh, a little pin on it when we zoom into his head and we hear the crashing of the waves as he comes. But now we're six months in and he's kind of insane and he's imagining murder and mermaids and and he and he collapses to the ground in despair. And it's this moment in a movie that is fevered and feverish. I think I actually wrote that down. This movie, yeah, all of the elements synergize to create the feel of the fever and fantasies of masturbation. Like, there's there's that joke that, like, in the 10 seconds before you come that you can literally imagine anything, and then in the 10 seconds after you come, the wave of shame and guilt comes in and washes it all away. Yeah. But this is that thing. This This is a film catching that on on film of Robert Pattinson collapsing to the ground in this weird broken posture of a man who's at his desperate wits end. It's an amazing performance. We talked a little bit in episode one about how Pattinson doesn't really get his due. And this, the, from this moment of the movie until the end, you Pattinson starts to unfurl his character up this up until this point has been kind of buttoned up and I think that has kind of put a constraint on his performance that Defoe doesn't have which is why Defoe's performance seems great capital G from the beginning whereas Pattinson because he has a lot to do right from the very beginning where Pattinson doesn't necessarily have as much to do right that's the nature of the Defoe character is Mm -hmm. he's he's fully engaged from he comes on stage Fully in that yes, character. Yes, yes, yes. And Pattinson's character has more of a, a like an arc, like a slower arc. He doesn't take his coat off for the first three scenes of the fucking movie, right? He's 
yes, buttoned he's, up. He's, there's no character there. There's not a lot of business to tend to. And there's a lot of hunch and inward rules, yeah, yeah. regulations. I don't I do everything by the books. I am this Right. And and that's what makes the transformation so powerful because from yeah. that, from that to this, where he's stripped to the waist. You know, his pants are down around his knees and he's bare in a in a cold, damp shanty shack, you know, like this is where his character begins for me. And this is where I this is where early on I'm like Defoe clearly deserves an Oscar. Clearly two two monologues like that in one movie. This is that's an Oscar. That's a fucking Oscar. Someone really. It's at least up. a nomination for sure. And if he and if he doesn't win, then there's a nomination for people to bitch about. Like, why didn't or that even guy to be win? In the conversation about the people that you were going to nominate for that, it wasn't or even to, a... or to even be in the conversation at all. Like the fact that I mean, I mean, Connor talks to me for an hour on the phone about it, and I right, I totally <laughs> agree, man. I totally agree with you, Connor. This is bullshit. But like, this is the point where I go. Oh, you know what? Robert Pattinson might fucking need a little nod here too. Yeah, because he, he needs a little shoulder rubbing. He's doing some real fucking work, man. Dude, hell yeah! The, st- the like the stiffness that's in the performance in the beginning. When you get here, you realize that that's a character choice. Mm-hmm. Like that's just part of this dude's arc, and it it this is cool because it retroactively like rewrites the movie for you. Um, so like right after he he like can't he he's like trying to masturbate and he can't come and he collapses and he's crying and he walks outside. There's a weird juxtaposed cut where he like walks outside and then he's suddenly on the lighthouse and this is where we get this shot and I briefly mentioned it earlier, but he he goes up because he thinks that he's seen Wake collapse on the lighthouse, so he runs up to the balcony and there's a collapsed body and he rolls it over. And it's Robert Pattinson, and he's staring at himself in confusion. And then he turns, and we mentioned it earlier, but it's a fully nude Willem Dafoe. There's an account on Instagram I follow called Beeple Crap, B-E-E-P-L-E Crap. And it's this digital artist who lately he's been doing a lot of like digital art of Donald Trump and Joe Biden fighting it out, like literally fighting. But for whatever reason, a lot of times in his images, they're naked. And like obviously it's Instagram, so they're like arranged so you can't see anything. But like it's like these like this withered, frail man and this like big bloviating, blimp, wrinkled dude. And that scene of Willem Dafoe stripped naked reminded me of it because there is something. There's something about his, the way that physique? he yes. There's something about his physique that seems like ocean carved, yeah, or like. Like pickled with salt or preserved, or he seems like the heavily ancient. brined or something. Yeah, like. well, the character that he's allegedly based on, Proteus, is sort of like the, you know, the earliest thing that we found that's written in English. I think it's called the the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Mm-hmm. He looks like the ancient mariner. He's like, wow. he looks ageless thousands of years old carved from these coral structures like it's amazing shot and then the weird iron giant like flashlight eyeballs just adds it was the lighthouse it's the light from the lighthouse right right yeah but but it's very iron gianty that was the only thing i could think of is just you know like (laughs) yeah the the like glowing eyes from the iron giant but 
that that gaze. Oh, actually, wow, that's a that's a super good observation, dude. Especially because of that earlier shot where we kind of equate Willem Dafoe with the lighthouse. Cool, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, lighthouse is literally a gaslight. Yeah, we covered that. Oh man, we I have just I had a bazillion million trillion notes. I even have notes on the bottom of my planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> so. I th- my last note is just come on, <laughs> just C dash C apostrophe M O N. Come on, come on! I like couldn't even take notes anymore because every five seconds it was like some new like film defining moment. The yeah, one this, this movie's tense. The last movie, the last moment I want to talk about, and then we can roll on out because we've given people three and a half hours of lighthouse, which it deserved for sure. Um, the last moment I really want to talk about is one of my favorites, and it is the moment when, first of all, okay, Willem Dafoe gets walked out on a dog leash. We've talked about that. He gets buried alive. He delivers one of the most profound monologues, one of the most beautifully shot monologues I've ever seen as he's being buried alive, takes his performance to the next level. Robert Pattinson steals his keys, goes inside, and he's going to go upstairs and look at the light finally. And Willem Dafoe rolls in with an axe, not dead, not dead, comes back from the nope. grave. Dude, this is totally Frankenstein and, and Dracula and Creature and all of these. It's all of them, baby. It's a universal so movie good. with like a hard R rating, which I'm so in love with, man. Um, He comes back with an axe. Fucking Pattinson gets it on the shoulder like bad, like Oh, that, he's buried deep, man. That axe hit yeah. was great. That effect was awesome when it hits him in the left shoulder, and you kind of see it like separate the sh- the arm from the shoulder a little bit. Nice thunk too. Ooh. Oh, that sound design, yeah, it was super nasty. Um, but Pattinson gets the axe away from him and does like the one handed like in the head, and it pops his skull, and the blood flies out. Great effects, all amazing. But the moment I want to talk about is that. That shot, dude. It's a shot akin, second only, not even second only, on par with the end of Midsummer, when she is dragging herself at in that big like mountain big flower, flowers beetle in the background. The in Midsummer in the background, there's a building burning with what it's like seven people in it a lot, burning mm-hmm. thirteen people in it or whatever, burning alive. And the whole village is wailing and screaming and the fire is roaring and she's dragging herself in this cape of flowers with a flower crown on her head, wailing, crying so hard she's gagging and heaving. It is one of the most horrific images I've ever seen. And it is a moment of like... Fuck it. It's like a moment (sighs) of... It creates a moment of Cesura in my head where it just stops my everything. You're mm-hmm. watching it, and it's so overwhelming emotionally that you get a dial tone for a second. Every time I've watched it, I've had it. It's a, it's a profound moment on film. It's amazing. This moment at the end of this movie, when Robert Pattinson, covered in Willem Dafoe's blood, crawls up the spiral staircase, dragging himself by his arms because he's so emaciated and malnourished and has been fighting for his life and is losing blood really quickly. And he climbs through that fucking hatch. And that, that light spins and slows and stops. And then the glass opens and he looks directly into the heart of the lighthouse. And this is where this movie 
becomes goes from excellent, truly excellent film to one of the great films of our time is this shot, dude. Robert Pattinson sticks his hand into the lighthouse and we into the light, into the lamp. And we get this weird sound design choice that sounds almost like maybe sizzling flesh, but it's hard to tell because they're going to do something with the sound design in a second that makes it difficult to know what you're actually hearing. And then Pattinson, his performance goes from trepidation to awe to a sort of loving, like a loving affection to sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm to bliss to a gentle ping of anxiety to fear to horror and then he starts to scream it's amazing he he starts to scream and his first scream sounds a little wrong like there's a little crackle in there and then his second scream sounds pretty wrong and because it's distorted he's clearly yeah the mic is starting to blow out and then he screams again and it's so blown out it's not even a human voice and then he screams again and you're not it's not we're not i'm not even sure you can call it i mean it's sound it's clearly sound waves but that's how inhuman and distorted and destroyed it is and accompanying these screams as the audio starts to blow out and get fully like distorted and destroyed here, I have my gain up pretty high, so actually, like, so the mic, yeah, it, this might be loud in your ears. If it is, I'm sorry. So, like, what you hear when his mic blows out is like, bah, bah, that, that like, crackly in the back. Yeah. That's the mic blowing. So he's, like, he's blowing that out so much it sounds like a distortion pedal, and the whole time they're pulling the, they're upping, they're basically upping the contrast um, on and, and increasing the saturation to like a strict uh, oh god what the hell is it called bird's gonna be so mad at me have you ever seen the movie pie oh fuck by yeah. darren aronofsky oh yeah it's that super high contrast black and white with no mm-hmm. shades of gray they go all the way to basically monocolor it's just black and white it's if any of you have seen beyond the black rainbow shout out connor you seriously need to watch beyond the black rainbow brother um, it's it's Panos Cosmatos' first movie before he did Mandy. There's a scene in there that is shot in strict black and white. It is There is no gray, no shadows, no nothing. It is just black and white, and it is one of the most visually fucked things I've ever seen. It's awesome. Remember the scene, yeah, in, you seen in, remember the scene in Mandy where the dude's face turns into the other face and then yes. it turns back yeah yeah it's the 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 beyond the black rainbow is very like that very like this where like the world just blows out to like this inhuman thing and then he falls out of the light down and falls down the spiral i mean the Prometheus. by the way like this this is pretty obvious this is prometheus he's he flew too close to the sun and his wings of wax have melted, and That's now he's Icarus, falling. Though. Oh, Icarus, yeah, Prometheus. So Prometheus, he's stealing the fire from the gods, who yes, God being wake. Okay, but still, also Icarus, flying too close to the sun and falling. Fair enough. Yes, just, I just like to scratch mix myths together, hey, es- especially when I'm all full of uh, fucking Bordeaux. And- yeah, hey, man. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, dude. I lo- so he falls down that spiral, and it's a great shot too because it's shot bird's eye straight down. So he's like diminishing, and you're watching. Yeah, there's stuntman nod right there. That that person took a header the entire way down that stairwell. Yeah, that's that is one stunt that I always respect in any movie is a stairfall. Stairfall. A stairfall yeah. is always impressive to me. It, there's so n- much can go wrong with that shit. And there's yeah. no way that even if it goes right, you're banged up at the end of that for oh, sure. Oh yeah, you're all, you're hurt if you do it right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You're you're just not you're maybe just not crippled or in the ER. Like that's the goal is don't go to the hospital. That's a stunt and a half, dude. I love stairfalls. And then we get the shot. The shot. The outro, the end of the movie. And it's fucking Robert Pattinson laying on the rocks, getting his innards eaten out. By sea by seagulls. While he is alive. While he's alive, he's moving. His hands are coming up and down. To, oh, that stringy fucking bite that that one seagull. Oh man, gets. that was gross as shit, dude. That's a lucky seagull, but that's fucking. <laughs> oh my gross. god, it's like, ugh, it's like spaghetti. It's like spaghetti that you boiled in snot that instead pretty, of water. It was a pretty, it was a pretty gross scene. I'm, I got a pretty good stomach for that kind of shit. And this was like, and this black and white. You're not seeing red gore right, or anything, this, right? Fucking didn't sit well with me at all. The effects in this are, they're they're immaculate. It's it's unimpeachable. Yeah. The effects in the the like uh, the practical effects in this are unimpeachable. They're so good because you every time you see some of that shit, you want to throw up. Yep. You want to just totally like. You. Oh, by the way, great fake barf in this one too. Oh yeah. Fake barf into his own urine in the water that he's standing in and then he falls into it. Ugh. So bad. This is kind of a gross movie actually. Now the more like we talk about it, it's pretty this is pretty There's gross. a lot of gross. There's a lot of, there's poop and barf and semen and, and piss and shark pussy. <laughs> shark pussy. Yeah, dude. There's <laughs> fucking It's a pretty hectic film. Connor, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you making us watch shit like this, man? Um and then credits, and the yeah, credits man. are a fucking sea shanty, man. It's a it's a little s- s- ocean song. Oh. <sighs> I might not be able to I talk tomorrow just from movie, like dude. raving. Sorry, I like I like yeah. parts I like parts of episode where I can just sit back and and listen to the episode. <laughs> I listen to the movie as I scream the whole plot at yeah, you. Yeah, fucking love it, man. Oh, sorry, like, my... you haven't you haven't been this riled up since versus. It's been a while. Yeah, my, my energy level is very high. Sorry if I ranted at you for like an hour at a clip. Ugh. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, that was 2019's The Lighthouse. I guess we didn't really say. So what do you? Th- what, what would you say? Would you un- like uh, unreservedly recommend this to people? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, fuck. I, I, I think there's enough. There are going to be people that watch it and it's not their bag, but I think that person should still watch it. For sure. I, I have actually been p- saying to people, I think you should watch Midsummer, even though I know it's disturbing and a little screwed up. I give them that caveat. I'm like, right. it's kind of fucked up, but but it's so good that even if it kind of does disturb you, it's worth the watch. Lighthouse is in that same category for me. Yep. Dude, these... God damn, we are watching really good movies, Carl. This is yes, we so are. good. All right, yeah, I also unreservedly recommend The Lighthouse 2019. Check it out, find it, watch the hell out of it. Um, and let us know what you think by dropping us a line at measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com. Um, we would like to thank our patrons. We're pa- uh, oh, do- let's do that. Yeah, do you have anything else for this? I don't. I, I don't, man. I, 
I love this movie. I really do. I love it too. I, I, it's it's going to be a Blu-ray purchase, and that's how you know I like something. I own it in physical media. For I'm going to sure. own this. It's it's a it is a a regular watcher, definitely. Oh, dude, yeah. It's absolutely. It, this is going to be in my fall, my like late fall, November. Yes, I was absolutely thinking that this is going to be my November, October, November, this probably a, past Halloween. Yeah, this is a good getting, November movie when the weather's yeah. getting shitty and it looks like you're going to be inside for a bit. Like yep. watch this thing, dude. It's good. It's so good. Okay. Um. So if you head on over to patreon.com slash Quillen film, Q-U-I-L-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-M, you can get full length bonus episodes. We do a uh, series recover and all sorts. We do a lot of sequels, remakes. We do in a, a series called when Harry met Michael over there, where we are watching all of the Halloween movies, all of the Harry Potter films, and we're talking about them. And I'm talking full-length, two-hour, meaty episodes. Oh, yeah, baby. Carl's mm. doing reaction shots at me, and it's... I am, and <laughs> we don't have... I have the new camera with a new Dude, you got, phone. Ace, you got Ace Ventura, uh, first one, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. Oh, no, I that's the second bit. one. Pet Detective. You got Pet Detective hair going on right now. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Yeah, it's great. The little flip in the be- in the over at the front. That's... Yes, yeah, little Elvis <laughs> Presley. No one can see this. This is dead air. I know this is doing? just for us. Um, so we would like to thank all of the people who make this show possible, who keep the lights on, who uh, are going to very shortly uh, help with their contributions, help us pay for um, a video setup to get us up and running for film projects, which we've are actually going to do a pitch meeting and decide uh, what order we're going to make those in very soon. So we'd like to thank our patrons, starting with. Because we finished with her last week, Casey Shabby. Casey Shabby, you are truly <laughs> she's one of our longest standing patrons. Yep, we miss the hell out of you. Um, episode two. Yeah, it's like re- I think we like started the Patreon, and then she's like, "How do I give you money?" And we're like, "Oh, it's j- it's live like right now." Oh, our banking's not even correct yet. Hold on. Well, yeah, she she was so supportive. Since before we could actually physically accept money on Patreon, we probably got Patreon, Patreon just <laughs> so she could give us money. Yeah, she's like, you guys need to get like a Do donate page. Venmo Come on, <laughs> she's oh my god, she's amazing. So true supporter of the arts. Thank you, Casey Shiby. We'd also like to thank Cynthia Van Manen, William Rockwood, David Rowney, Danielle Hartelli, Cassandra. Jeffrey Morgan, Kevin Ramirez, Sister Sarah Hartley, Brian Jackson, Kelly and Mike Wagner. Uh, you're on this list too, man. Carl Hartley, look at you. <laughs> and uh, last. I've been a patron since episode one. Yeah, actually, I think you were like the test patron to make sure that everything works. Uh, yeah, give me your credit card number, Carl. I just keep forgetting to take it off. I know, you're like, b- like barely knew you. I'm like, hey, read me your credit card number over the phone. I set up this... It's called moneygiver.com. It gives us money. Calls Max's pocket. And dot did, net. Yeah, man. If you give me your credit card number for every five you spend, you're going to get five back. See, it's like a pyramid shape, if you will. <laughs> um, and then last but not least, most certainly, most definitely, the man who recommended this incredible film to us, as he has done with so many others. Thank you so much, Connor Sweeney. Um, I just got to see him for the first time since the fucking pandemic started the other day, man. Shit, man. I went for I went out for a walk. We we went with uh, me, Bird, Trinity, and they brought the the babies. Hannah was oh my there, goodness. Wellington, and we went for uh we went for a hike, man. And I cannot even tell you how good it did my how much good it did my soul to get to see the Sweeney's again. That was a great I family. Can. Those are great people, man. Some of the best. 
Those are some of the best people with two of the youngest new people. The two of the, the oh my god, dude, those babies are fucking cute. I don't understand how Connor doesn't have like carpal tunnel from just pinching cheeks. Does it? Just coochie coochies, dude. Like he's gonna yep. have claws for hands after these fucking kids are old enough he's to stop. He's gonna pinching. have spindle hand Mandy pants. Yeah, he'll be, wait, <laughs> spindle hand Mandy pants. <laughs> Yes, middle hand, Mandy. Yeah, pants. so Connor, we have a role for you. Um, you're gonna <laughs> love it. All right, listeners, we'll let you get out of here. Thanks for bearing with us as Carl and I like get our first friend talk Jerked in the off first. All over this My lighthouse God, movie. man, great movie, and the first time that we've gotten to talk to each other in a month. So thanks for being yep. a part of it all. Uh, we love y'all so much. Uh, stay tuned. We're gonna be back really shortly with uh, the first film of November. We're just catching up on October. That's all done now. Um, so you're gonna get the first movie of November. It is it's a riot. If you have not seen it, watch it so you can be there for the conversation when we talk about John Hughes, planes, trains, and automobiles. 